Uh, so we're in um, a teaching series all about identity as a church. We've been going through one of Paul's letters in the New Testament called Colossians, and we've been looking at all the different things that he says about you. If you're a Christian, um, you may not know it, but your identity, who you are at your core, has completely changed. You might think, all I did was get baptized. All I did was put my hand up and pray a prayer and say, God, please help me, and um, I want to follow you. And that's all I did. But actually, the Bible says, theologically speaking, some, God sees you in such a different way now. Uh, some of the things that we've talked about is that if you're a Christian, God views you as being a saint, a holy one now because of Christ. You've been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. You're hidden with Christ in God now. Um, you are a forgiven one. And actually, as a result of who we are and what our identity is, Paul, in the later half of the letter, goes on to start talking about the implications that that has for our lives. He says, in other words, because of who you are, now you are to behave like that. You are a forgiven one, he says, therefore you're able to forgive others. And he goes through a list of different things of how we're to behave, and we've started looking at some of those points in the letter where Paul transitions. But it's important, again, we say this every week, that we get, our, we get it the right way around. Your identity must always come before your activity. Otherwise you'll find yourself in all kinds of hot water. Um, you have become something, now behave like that. Uh, it, often the cases at work, uh, is a clear example of this is at work, where someone gets a promotion, finds themselves with a new sphere of responsibility, and people start talking to them about that sphere of responsibility, asking them questions they didn't ask before. Well, because their position has changed, they now have to behave in a different way. Or I suppose the clearest example is when you become a parent. Um, when our firstborn was born, they handed the baby, handed Riley to Amy and said, there you go, mum. She had a new name. And as a result of being named mum, she now had to start behaving like mum. Now she could carry on being as irresponsible and reckless as she was before she had a baby at the detriment of poor Riley. Luckily, she's married to a very responsible person who would ensure that wouldn't happen. But she is a mum and now she starts to behave like one. And we get it that way around. And it's important that we get it that way around. Now, today, um, with it being Mothering Sunday and all, we planned our teaching series uh, so that we could speak on the passage in Colossians where Paul addresses Christian households, Christian families, which, um, which is a great idea until we read it and thought, ah, right, so how are we going to preach that? Because um, what I'm going to read to us today is among some of the, um, not controversial, but among some of the most disliked verses in the New Testament today in our society. So we're going to get into it and we're going we're gonna to see what Paul has to say to us um, there's a word that I'm going to read that makes some people very, very angry. Uh, it's a word that makes Christians happy and uh, should be a source of delight for Christians, but for a lot of people it causes them to become very angry and nasty. So we're going to work that through together this morning. We should be fun and see what God has to say to us. So here we go. Colossians 3 verses 17 to uh, 4, 1. So Paul writing to the church. Whatever you do in word or indeed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become 
discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done, and there's no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So there we have it. Six instructions to people in a household. One big problem. I don't know if you spotted that word, the S word, that causes many people's backs to rise. What? You can't be mad. And we're going to talk about that together. We're going to talk about what submission is really all about. Um, in fact, I once got tricked because I listened to a sermon on, um, well, it, it was a sermon on like marriage and it was the S word. So I thought it was a sermon on sex. <laughs> so, I, so I listened to the sermon and it's like, no, it's not the, S, not the sex word, it's the submit word. I like, That's the, not the sermon I was hoping for. <laughs> Never mind, that's perhaps just an insight into my life. Um, so I'm guessing of the six instructions that Paul gives, Three of which, we're fine with three of those instructions, and three of which we're going to have a problem with. So let's start in, in kind of friendly territory, the three that we're fine with. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives, do not be harsh with them. Good advice, Paul. Good advice. Brilliant. We'll take that one. If husbands loved their wives and weren't harsh with them, what a, what a wonderful household and environment or family that would be. Eh? What a better society. Um, There would be no more male domestic violence. We'd have faithful men and husbands at home and around treating their wives well. And as a result, women, wives, would be fruitful and feel fulfilled in the home. Good advice, Paul. Hmm. Next one. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Good advice, Paul. I like that one. And now I can tell my kids, I've got a verse, son. (laughs) Because the Bible's been really helpful and has told parents... To, you know, you basically, if my kids are disobeying, come here, son. You've learned to read at school, which he has done this year. You've learned to read. What does this say, Riley? What does this say here? Children, obey. Okay, good. Let's learn what that means. And we can do that. Good advice, Paul. We like that verse, uh, particularly if you're parents. Uh, verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged, which is when my son turns to me and says, good advice, Paul. Good advice. And actually, that's a, it is a, gr- a great piece of advice. It stops, I mean, parents being given positional authority by God, children told to obey them. But this is the, the caveat, if you like. It says, you have the authority, but don't use it harshly. Don't treat your authority as a reason for, or opportunity for license and to uh, be domineering or harsh or cruel or unkind. No, don't be harsh with them. Don't provoke your kids to anger, it says elsewhere. So three pieces of advice that we think good advice, Paul. And now comes the trickier bits. Um, Let's see where he goes on to address this bit. Verse 22, slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Which is odd because you'd think that Paul, if he was going to speak to slaves, would say, run away. You're a Christian now. You're free. Run away. He doesn't say that though. I mean, in another letter that Paul writes, he says, in the church, there's no difference anymore. Uh, There's only one man in Christ. There's no difference between men and women, slaves and free. You're all one in Christ. So you think you would tell slaves, run away. Slavery's wrong. But he doesn't tell them. Why not? Why not? Why doesn't he say that? Well, firstly, in the society of its days, slavery and and households 
owning slaves to work for them and do their chores was a part of society life. And more than that, if slaves ever abandoned their masters, they were punishable or they could be punishable by death. I don't know if you've seen the film Spartacus. I am Spartacus. Have you seen that one? That was based on a, uh, a moment in history where um, hundreds of slaves revolted and rebelled against their masters. And when the Romans eventually caught up with them, they crucified 500 of them in one day all along this road in Italy. They cru- next, next to each other, 500 slaves. That was the punishment for rebelling and running away from the slaves. So Paul's probably got that in his mind. But also Paul is a pastor. And Paul knows that um, often in church life and pastoral life, you have to treat people and give people advice based on how the world actually is and not how the world should be, based on how the world actually is and not how it should be. So uh, if, if a spouse cheats on their husband or wife, as a pastor, I would counsel the victim to forgive their adultery, adulterous husband or wife. I would counsel them to forgive that. In doing that, am I saying what they've done is okay? No, of course not. But I'm having to deal with the situation as it actually is, in light of the fact that slavery exists almost. He's saying, this is how you're to behave as a slave. But then the bit that causes us perhaps the most confusion when talking about slaves and masters is when he addresses the master himself. And he says to masters, treat your slaves fairly. Because again, you'd think, why? Why would you say that? Why would you not just tell them, slavery's wrong, let your slaves go? Again, Paul is dealing with the world as it actually is, not as it should be. And actually the world now has been rid of, or, or slavery at least is illegal. It's not rid of it by any means, but it's illegal certainly in the Western world to own slaves. And so then that's a result of Christians lobbying against Parliament, and Christians among others lobbying against Parliament to change the laws in the world. And that's happened as a result of Christianity and Christian belief. But Paul doesn't say that here. Here he says, treat your slaves well. Why? Because he's dealing with the world as it actually is, not as it should be. Because Paul knows, apart from anything else, if the master was to just let the slave go, well, Paul knows that in all reality, the slave, if he was to be treated fairly and given a decent wage and treated honorably by his master, would be in a much better position within the security of that household than he would be if he just left, kicked him out where he was jobless and homeless, and often they had families to provide for. So that's going on there, perhaps. Now we get to the first part of the, um, of the instruction that Paul gives. Verse 18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Nasty, sexist, oppressive Paul. I can't believe he said that. In light of everything else that's gone on, that's a, and what you've said so far, Paul, is quite reasonable, but this, can't believe it. What's going on here? Are we really suggesting, or how are we as Christians supposed to read that? In this day and age, are we really suggesting that the Bible, when it says wives are supposed to submit to their husbands, is something that they should do? Often when we've spoken on this, people have, uh, or or in the past I should say, when when someone's come up to encourage one of the preachers at King's afterwards and said, oh, great sermon, I really like what you're teaching on this subject, but you can't honestly believe this, can you? You can't honestly believe this. To which I'll reply, more often than not, uh, to quote Ethan Hunt from Mission Impossible, is, uh, it's much worse than you think. (laughs) Not only do we, we believe that, but it's actually much, much worse than you think. Submission is at the heart of Christianity. And actually, for Christians, it's a beautiful idea. And that's something we're going to talk about now. 
So I want to talk about a couple of things and then we'll get on to some, some comments on mothering and motherhood and how that relates to this passage as well. You see, in Christianity, submission abounds, as I mentioned. Um, the very entry point to Christian belief, the way that you become a Christian, is by saying, Jesus is Lord, which is basically saying, he's in charge. Or another way of saying is, I submit to him. He runs my life now. When you get baptized as part of your beginning and conversion of, into the Christian life, what you're saying when you get baptized is, I am dying, going into the water and dying to my rebellious, self-loving, self-following person. And I'm now being raised to a new life where I'm going to follow Jesus. Um, Christ, Christians, the Bible teaches that um, children in a Christian household are to submit to their parents. Jesus submitted on when he was on earth, submitted as a young boy to his parents. Um, wives are told to submit to husbands. Husbands are told to submit to Christ. And masters submit, the slaves submit to masters and masters to God. Citizens, if you're a Christian and you live in a country, you're told as a citizen to submit to the rulers and the authorities, even the Romans, you might say. From the Bible, it says submit to the ruling authorities. Peter takes it further in his letter to the church and says, be subject to or submit to every human institution. We're told as Christians in the church to submit to one another, submit to brothers and sisters in Christ. In the book of Hebrews, it says, submit to your leaders, those who preach the gospel, those who are involved in church leadership. There's submission there, which submission and belonging to a church is hard. Um, submitting to one another, we often say, that we often, we all like, sometimes people say they like the idea of submission until you have to disagree. Well, we say that's not submission, that's just agreeing, isn't it? But in the church, we have a lot of people who are happy to attend but churches are built by people who submit to one another and buy in together, submit to the leadership and say, this is my community. I'm going to belong here. I'm going to use my time, my talents, my treasure. I'm going to use the stuff God's given me to bless this body of people. I'm going to submit here. A good example of this is, um, is, is a lady in the church in Eastbourne who happens to be the MP uh, for, the, for Eastbourne, Caroline Ansel. And you see, she's in our church, and as people within her church, or certainly those who live in Eastbourne, they submit to her. So let's say one of the elders there, Andrew, would submit to her as she's her ruler uh, or appointed um, representative, elected representative. But she in the church would submit to him as her church elder, church leader. He would then submit to her as she's older than him. Um, but they would submit to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, and they would both submit to God. And actually, there's a, a lot in the Bible, as I pointed out, about submission. Paul in Philippians 2 writes this to the church and talks about the kind of community that gets created when people submit to one another. Paul says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Submit to others then. Look, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So the first thing to say about submission is that it abounds in Christianity. This isn't an unusual verse. The second thing to say is that biblically, submission 
brings freedom and liberty rather than captivity. Submission is therefore empowering and liberating. There's a reason I enjoy playing board games with my friends more than I enjoy playing board games with my kids. Because my kids do not submit to the rules of the game. And it makes for a very difficult trying, testing experience. Uh, There's a reason that although both Amy and I enjoy cooking, there's a reason that she does more of the cooking in the house than I do because when I cook, she finds it an incredibly stressful experience because I don't like to submit to the rules of the recipe. I like to experiment. Think, oh, that looks good, and just chuck stuff in. And and yesterday we had a a horrible soup as a result that we had to pour away. But that causes her a lot of stress because I don't submit to the rules. Submission brings fruitfulness and freedom, and that's actually liberating. And actually, to submit to someone in their area of responsibility, it, not only does it get rid of stress, it brings me a lot of confidence and strength. So every time I go to the doctors or the dentists, I submit to them. I know, I know, sorry, with the rise of Google and Google doctors, the doctors are finding this harder and harder because fewer and fewer of us are submitting to their expertise. They're like, I've studied for 20 years and you've got an article off Google. Yes, and I will submit to Google before I submit to you, sir. But when I go to the doctors or the dentists, I submit to them and their expertise. I trust their knowledge. Every time I get on an aeroplane, I submit to the pilot, you're in charge. <laughs> and often when we're flying, I look around me and think, these could be the last faces I ever see. <laughs> I don't know if this is a morbid thought I have. But I'm submitting to the pilot and I'm trusting him within his area of expertise. When decorators decorate my house, they do it much better than I can. I submit to them. Designers, people who are, are good at visual stuff like Sam produces, we submit to them. I don't know if you, if you watch The Apprentice, um, the TV show with Alan Sugar, and they have a group of candidates trying to impress him, and they complete tasks. It's always infuriating to watch them on any task that involves design, because the candidates sit alongside a graphic designer telling him what to do, and often producing horrible products, because they are refusing to submit to someone who really knows what they're doing, because they want to impress Lord Sugar, and they want to show that they can do everything, so they refuse to submit. It's not just true in the world, though. It's true in the church. Um, So it's never happened to date, and I doubt it ever will because of my competency. But if I was to ever play in the band here, um, I do have a guitar, and I can, you know, I I can make some noise on it. But if I was to ever play in the band here, I, in that moment of playing, am submitting to John or whoever's leading the band. When Andrew plays the cajon, (laughs) he submits to whoever's leading. We've had a lot of experience with Andrew playing the cajon. He's like, oh, he needs some help with the percussion and just play. Yeah, just stay in submission, please. But when Andrew or myself are preaching, you are, John is, in this example, submitting to preaching, submitting to the, the word of God being taught. And he submits to me as his church leader. But likewise, there are people in the church, Steve Adams, who's a builder. He was around my house recently talking about what we could do. And I was like, I'm going to submit and trust you. Uh, when Amy's going through labor, I submit and do whatever Alison tells me to do because I trust her. I recognize there's spheres of responsibility and expertise that, quite frankly, I am empowered and I am free by submitting. So, Not only is submission abounding in Christianity, it's also empowering and liberating. So what does this have to do with Mother's Day? Why is this value of submission true in Christianity but not true 
elsewhere or in the world around us, perhaps. The reality is, in Christianity, submission has been modeled beautifully for us by Jesus. Jesus gave up power to come and be born as a baby, submitted to his mum and dad and to the, their women fancy. He submitted himself to them, gave up power. That's the God that we worship, is a God who laid aside power and submitted. And this is so counterintuitive or so opposite to the way the world operates. In the world, so much of how people behave is dominated by a quest for power. To give it away is ridiculous. It's like playing Monopoly and selling all of your houses in hotels. You think, that's not, you don't understand. In the world's mind, how do you do that? Well, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. That's what he says. At the moment of his trial and just leading up to his execution, we're told at any moment he could have called down a legion of angels to free him. But he didn't. He submitted to his father. He trusted his father even to the point of death. So, um, in Philippians 2, carrying on from our passage that we read a moment ago, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Oh, no, go back. You were right, I think. Well, next one. Huh? Oh, shall I read it from here then? Okay, let's kick it old school and get the book out. It's there. Okay, have this mind, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Next slide. No, okay, all right, sorry about this. Let me get this up. I obviously didn't do this properly. So Philippians 2. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." See, our entire faith is based on the example of one who submitted. Um, And what submitting looks like in practice is difficult to define. I'm not going to try to attempt it. When when Paul says, wives, submit to husbands, often churches or preachers have used that as an excuse to, not as an excuse, but have used that to give um, examples in the home of what that therefore looks like. I don't think that's fair or right because culturally every home every town every situation is different and every marriage is different uh, the giftings of the the husband and wife looks different. so it's hard to say this is what submission looks like but what we can say is that submission in light of all the other bible verses is is important and is to, it's a lot more to do with the heart than it is to do with actually how i behave so we are to submit to one another and submission frees me. It, it, we've got it modeled for us beautifully in Jesus, but it frees me from the pressure of feeling like I need to be an expert at everything. Uh, 
you know, by nature, I think m- many of us, we don't just want to be jack of all trades. We want to be expert at every trade. We want to be able to do everything better than everybody else because we are after, I don't know, some sense of importance or acceptance that comes from that. But when I meet someone who is truly excellent at something, it's actually a very humbling and liberating experience. So again, if I, if I had aspirations to be a, a drummer and work very hard at drumming and then met Ed... I would, not only would all my pretensions at excellence fall away, I would also be humbled, but I would also think, oh, if I got you to drum, actually you're much better than I could ever be. Or we have this often at King's when I come to Sam with my little design projects. Or Sam, I've made a video, what do you think? In the amount of time Sam says to me, yeah, don't make videos. (laughs) But I love making videos, it's fun, we've got these creative videos and we can do fun. He said, don't make videos. He's an expert. He says, you're not very good in as nice a way as possible. So, okay, fine. And I realize it's humbling, but it's good for me as well. I want to, and we ought to, be able to entrust ourselves to others. And entrust ourselves to others' areas of expertise where we can say, in effect, this is your area. You take this. I submit to you. Now, I'm not saying we neglect our responsibilities, but I'm saying it's liberating for us and it's good for the church, it's good for homes when we learn to defer and trust one another in this. Uh, and that's important for us to, to get. People think, well, what if, what if the person I'm trusting is wrong? Ah, in all likelihood, they will be. None of us are perfect. You know, what if I, what if I obey this church's teachings and it's wrong? I've submitted to them. Well, they probably will be wrong on some things. It's our responsibility to probably make sure they're not wrong on the big things. But we're trusting them. From God's point of view, from the New Testament's point of view, it's submit to your, uh, those in leadership over you. Or it's submit to, trust to, defer to. It, it's empowering for them and it's also good for us. Again, we don't neglect, but it is a good thing to do. So, with all of that in mind, we come to mothering. And what this has got to do with mothers. You see, submission is vital for parenting. It's vital for mothering. Creating a child has got to be one of the most remarkable things that anyone can do with with their life. Just creating this new life that before didn't exist. And far from, although, although at times you think, wow, look at that, I made that. Far from feeling like an, a massively liberating and empowering experience, it actually has the opposite effect and makes you realize your weaknesses and your limitations. You know, after, after Riley was born, I didn't walk around proudly going, look, I'm so powerful, I can create children. Ah, I, Amy did hard work. She can create children. I didn't do that. I thought, crikey, I've created a child. What have I done? How on earth am I going to make sure this doesn't die and look after this well and feed it? And oh my goodness. And so I put, make sure I'm part of a community and there's lots of friendly people who can help. I'm like, show me what to do. And that moment, isn't it, when you first get in from hospital with the child and you put it down, and you're like, oh, so who's going who's gonna to get up through the night? And we're like, oh, I think you should feed Ames because, you know, that way, if you're feeding, then he'll need you and I can sleep and, and I need sleep and he needs me to need sleep and he needs me to have sleep and that's better for you, better for him, better for me. We're all happy, right? So we've done that. Point one, agreed. <laughs> I will sleep, you will wake and feed, right? That's okay, agreed. But it is that moment of thinking, how do we divvy up who does what here? Because there's a lot to be done and none of us know what we're doing and we're trying to work out. <gasps> 
far from feeling empowered. I created a child. It's more, ah, help, I've created a child. I don't know what to do. So we read books and we do everything we can. It actually highlights your powerlessness more than your powerfulness. To quote one writer um, called Jay Reno about children, he says this, to have children and exercise dominion over them as they grow up does not give parents an easy feeling of power and control. On the contrary, raising children is fraught with deep uncertainty and anxiety about the future. This is why parents work so hard to educate their children, save up an inheritance and do all they can to provide for those whom they love. It is a work that any clear-minded person knows can be swept away by economic, political and personal tragedies. Therefore, should appear behind me, therefore, having children is always an act of trust. A moment in which we surrender ourselves and say, however unconsciously with Mary, Jesus' mum, let it be to me according to your word. However unconsciously, that's what we're saying when we have kids. We trust that I don't know what to do, but I trust you, God. In other words, if you can't submit or say to God, God, this is your area, then parenting becomes a whole lot more stressful. And many of us, all of us, I suppose, who have kids know how um, trying it is on your nerves. (laughs) Not just on your will and your patience, but on your nerves. It's terrifying. And all of us, whether Christian or not, find ourselves reaching there and going, I just don't know what to do. I'm just going to have to, in in a non-believer's words, I'm just going to have to hope for the best. Or in a Christian's words, I'm going to have to trust God with this. Having children provokes us and points us to submission to God. We were singing earlier, you were, you are, you will always be. Every parent should have that written above their child's cot. You were. Scientists reckon the universe is 13.7 billion years old. And he was even before that. He was the one who, before the Big Bang, if you like, he was there in the beginning. He was. He always has been. He's in the present. And he's the only being in all of the universe who also knows the future. And so as parents, we need to celebrate. He was, he is, he is to come. I trust him with this life. And though there'll be lots of challenges to that trust along the way, it's actually the best posture for us to have as those of us who are parenting naturally or, or parenting Um, In the way that we disciple and mentor and encourage one another, we trust him. You see, in Scripture, submission is is both vital and it's beautiful because of Jesus. And we're going to respond by breaking bread together as a reminder that we have been called to a life of submission. In all of its forms, in different ways. Throughout different seasons, it will look differently, but our posture is to be one of submissive trust. And it starts with us trusting trusting God. Let me read again from Philippians 2. Talking about Jesus. Being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself. Jesus submitted himself. Became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. As a result of his submission, his trust, God 
has bestowed on Jesus the name above every name. The name that Paul says, at which every knee should bow to him. We bow to one who gave up power and submitted himself to his father, submitted himself to the forces of evil, submitted himself even to death on a cross. So that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess he is Lord. He is our master. He is the one we entrust ourselves to. He is the one ultimately we submit to. So in talking about Christian households, Paul says, wives, it looks like this. Trust, submit. And whatever that looks like, it looks like this. Respect, Peter, uses the word respect your husbands. Husbands, submit yourself to, to Christ. Or elsewhere, he says, lay your life down. Be willing to die for the sake of your wife. Children, submit, trust your parents. Parents, don't be harsh with them. Masters, so slaves, submit to your masters. Masters, submit to God. Citizens, submit to the government. Christians, submit to one another. Christians, submit to every human authority. Submit, submit, submit. How can we do that? Because of him. The one who submitted himself to his father's will and has been exalted now above every name. Let me pray and then we'll break bread. Father, thank you for this insight for the amazing example of your son how he lived a life of submissive trust gave himself to you joyfully wholeheartedly and i pray father that you would help us to be those who submit and trust you throughout every season of our soul every season of life we love you and we ask that you'd make us a people who are countercultural, who are radically different by our posture of trust and submission to one another and to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So John and the band are going to lead us in a response song. Um, There's bread at the front and at the back here. When you're ready, you're welcome to come to the front, rip off some bread, grab some juice, go back to your seat and take it as an act of remembering what Jesus has done for us. The New Testament makes it clear that breaking bread like this and partaking in Jesus' body like this is something that Christians do. So if you're not a Christian, this something is fine. You can just watch and observe on this one. But for those of us who are, let's respond in this way. John, over to you.